Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury, Spiritual Engagement Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. My guest this week is Father Tom Adamson. Uh, Tom has been on the show uh, once before, although you can uh, hear his guitars and bass uh, thumping at the beginning of every show, because that is, in fact, a song that Tom and I uh, recorded now well over a decade ago. But he is uh, also a uh, Episcopal priest in uh, northern Indiana and a dear old friend and love talking about scripture with him uh, and especially uh, the Psalms in particular. And so our text this week is Psalm 126. So I'm so delighted to have him on to discuss this text. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on so that others may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this conversation with Tom. Yeah, so Tom, will you read uh, Psalm 126? Sure, and I'm going to be reading this from the Episcopal Church Book of Common Prayer. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then we were like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad indeed. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev, those who sowed with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed, will come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. I was was almost going to go into the Gloria, but... (laughs) Me too. That's where my mind goes too. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now forever will be. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we ask that these words that have been lifted up by one who wrote them, by those who edited them, by those who sang them, marching to Jerusalem, and for the way these words have been on the lips of the saints for thousands of years, we ask now that these words would not only be on our lips, uh, but in our lives as well. As we discuss them, meditate upon them, and as those who listen in are shaped by the words of this psalm. We dare to ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so what do you notice here? What's, uh, what's standing out to you, either in whole or in part, as you look at Psalm 126. The idea I had coming into the conversation, I'll share a second, but the, the idea that just came to me while you were praying was this image of a fast-moving <laughs> stream of water. The Psalms are these great, great streams of, of tradition. You, you mentioned all the people who have sung them and prayed them and memorized them. And we're just uh, dipping our toes into into that mighty stream. So it should be pretty easy to talk about because I'm sure everything that we're going to say has all been said before. (laughs) But the idea that I kind of prepared in reflection for talking with you today, John, was this psalm, as I read it, there is a, a threefold shape to it. There is the past, the present, in the future. And there is this interplay and it flows from the past. We recalled when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion and then was our mouth filled with laughter. And then it was said, 
And then it kind of hinges on verse four, which is this great little bit of an anamnesis or anamnesis, however you want to say that, because the, the psalmist says the Lord has done great things for us. And that reminds me of the celebration of, of the Passover in the Hebrew community when they say tonight was the night that we were delivered. You know, this includes all of us and we are glad indeed. And then verse five is uh, present tense. We pray and then comes the future, the promise of God keeping the covenant, but not only keeping the covenant, but multiplying and giving much yield to the little bit of seed so that no matter when you are on the timeline, when we encounter God's blessing, it's always beyond what we can ask or imagine. It's always like seeing a dream, past, present, future. That's what jumps out to me as I read it this week. And that hinges on my translation, because I know that other translations are not as hard and fast with the temporal markers. I've read some that read, when the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, you know, and, uh, and a couple others that but I think this is a good way to 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 look at it. Yeah. So even if the even if that opening verb is put in a kind of generic present tense or even a future. Yeah. The 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 past tense is very strong in verse three. Right. But then like you said, it's in the past, but it's an us that is in the present. That was my favorite thing in your observation. Oh, thanks. Because there's clearly a shift to the the future, at least by verse four, when it says "Restore, O Lord, our fortunes." Does is the versification different in the the prayer book? Is that verse four? Um, I just don't have that version in front of me. That's five. It's, it must be different in the prayer book. I have yeah. seven, there are seven verses in the prayer book, and I know the NIV is slightly longer. I looked at that this morning. I think it maybe has eight verses and a lot more words. Yeah, so I've got I've got six in the Hebrew and an ESV has it in six verses. Oh, so okay, I've got that backwards. Maybe we should have Well, that it's just where you mark both. the ver well, I don't care where you mark the verses. I mean oh. versification in Psalms is kind of a mess because they didn't get standardized ah. across different traditions. It's so it's it's complicated. <laughs> so let's not stress about that. We'll just refer right. to the words and not the numbers, but sure. so restore us, O Lord, restore our fortunes, uh, like the waters of the Negev. I mean, there's a clear turn to the future as a petition is being made there. Mm-hmm. So I had seen kind of the past and the future, but to see that there's a, you know, a present tense hiding there in the hinge is very helpful. The, we are glad we rejoice. Yeah. Right. I think it's the we, it's the us. The present tense is the is the anamnesis of the act of reciting it or praying it or singing it. And then you, you, the reader or the singer, the worshiper become the present tense. Yeah. So comment on that word anamnesis. I'm familiar with it, but many of our listeners might not be. Oh, gosh. Now I'm back in pastoral theology one. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the gist. I'm not talking to you. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Theory, but. The, the, the gist, uh, one of my favorite pithy descriptions of anamnesis is deep remembrance. Someone else has called it participatory remembrance. It is seeking to bring God's saving acts of the past into the present through the worship of the community. And it is to uh, rejoice for and hope in the promises of the fulfillment of, of God's covenant at the end of all things. It's this meeting of past, present, and future. Now you're the Greek guy. I just saw a helpful breakdown of this the other day. What does anamnesis uh, mean in Greek? Yeah, well, the the MN, like the word mnemonic, that's an MN on the front. So the word for memory is right there in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, and then the Anna is again. So remember again. Sure. Or bring again to mind. Mm-hmm. Or it's actually even in the English word remember. So the word member in there yeah. is connected to the notion of joining something together in the mind. Put it and all then, back together again. And the, an, the, the, uh, the Anna on the front is mm-hmm. kind of equivalent to the re in English. Sure. Um, again, right? So – Bring it together again, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
this is a this is a theological idea that the, that the Christians have brought forward from from our Hebrew ancestors in, in terms of how we relate to God, how we pray, how we worship. That we are not disconnected from the past by any impassable barriers. That we all participate in the life of God together, past, present, and future. And there are ways of um, seeing. Uh, parts of, of Christian tradition as being anamnetic, like when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We don't just sort of sit in a semicircle and say, okay, let's all have a mental picture of what it means to uh, what it was like when Jesus had his uh, final meal with his disciples. We go one step beyond that, then we go through the motions of what he did. We share the bread, we share the cup. And so we remember kind of out loud and in, in a participatory kind of way. Um, so anamnesis is the participating element of the worshiping community in the saving acts of God, no matter when they happened or when they will happen. So that's my my take on it. Yeah, and for our listeners, you know, if the if all this talk of participatory remembrance mm-hmm. seems an imposition on the text, I mean, it's helpful to recognize. I mean. There's no reference, explicit reference to Passover or the other festivals here. Aha, I see where you're but going. But it is, but it is implicit, right? It's this is one of the the songs of ascent. Yes, that run from Psalm 120 to about 130, 31. And is 31 marked as an ascent song? I don't. Yeah. Oh, they keep going all the way to 34. Right. So 120 to 134, and it's it's. Uh, both from the content and from those headings, Song of Ascent, mm-hmm. as well as what we know from other sources, uh, these appear to be psalms that were used uh, for pilgrimage. Right. As the Israelite people would make their way up to Jerusalem. So there's a lot of Zion references, Jerusalem references. And this one could have layers, you know, this could be maybe much later and implying that this is, you know, maybe after the exile, you know, and then pilgrimaging up to Jerusalem and remembering that God restored the people. Although there are also restoration narratives that precede the Babylonian captivity when the temple would get in, you know, bad repair. And then there was a collection taken and there was a a sort of cleaning up of the temple Mm -hmm. during the reign of, uh, what's the kids, the the child King's name. It's slipping from my mind. Josiah. Josiah. There it is. You know, so so it could be referencing the Josiah experience, or it could be building up to that or building up to captivity. Because again, as you mentioned, the Hebrew tenses are funky. They can be translated. Sometimes the same one could be taken as past or future. There's a, you have to do a lot of context clues. And poetry gives you very little context clues to work with because <laughs> there's no narrative setting. So Right, right. And I mention all that not to create confusion for our listeners, but more to say this kind of notion of remembering the past, but then participating in it mm-hmm. is exactly the logic of Jewish festival and then is central to the whole notion of what it means to be a Gentile believer in Jesus, the Messiah. Exactly. We're always kind of participating in something other, some other story, some ancient story that we've been drawn into or that's being drawn into us. When we take our own pilgrimages, even the pilgrimage of just everyday life, going along our way. Right. Yeah. So this is a pilgrimage psalm, a preparation for festival psalm, and so fittingly assigned for one of the weeks of Lent, which is another kind of pilgrimage season, journeying to Jerusalem with Jesus. You know, all the gospel readings are kind of stories building up to the triumphal entry that's i think just the week after this one yes so this is the f- in in the lectionary this is the fifth sunday in lent and um this is right there on that border uh, you know in terms of sunday worship between the regular quote unquote regular lent and then holy week or you know like you said the triumphal entry palm sunday so we're right at the gate and we're going mm-hmm. up to we're going up to Jerusalem, which I think is why the lectionary designers have this Psalm of Ascent right before we get just inside Jerusalem. I love all of the, in terms of just the poetry of it, all the references to to laughter and joy in it. I think in 
in the in the BCP here, the the word joy is used three times. And let me look a little a little deeper here. The word joy is used three times. And uh, something else that I noticed is, and I mentioned this slightly earlier, but I'll reemphasize the point. This is a great psalm for for people like me who tend to be kind of doubting Thomases. We know God's going to come through for us, but we kind of think that for for any number of reasons it it won't be all that exciting. But he but God is in the business of surprising us, going beyond our expectations. And um, I'm trying not to sound like a prosperity gospel preacher here, but I'm trying to be faithful to the text that when God acts in a decisive way, it is always beyond what we ask. And it is a a reason for for joy. Sometimes when God has delivered me from something in my life or, or answered a prayer or did something that I wasn't expecting, it is like a vision. I just said, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I, I can't believe this is, this is actually happening. And that's kind of my personal testimony on this psalm is uh, there've been a lot of times when I feel like I've been blessed by God and it is like a, like a dream. No, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So much joy without the denial of the suffering that precedes or even accompanies it. Right. Joy in the second verse and then joy again with the the songs of joy or glad songs. Yeah. Coming again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. That imagery is great. Let's, Let's take a quick break and come back and explore that some more. Sure thing. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with uh, Father Tom Adamson, and we're looking at Psalm 126. I'll read it again so it's in our ears. This is from the Robert Alters translation. I like Alters. Yeah. So here goes. A song of ascents. When the Lord restores Zion's fortunes, we should be like dreamers. Then we will, then will our mouth fill with laughter and our tongue with glad song. Then will they say in the nations, great things has the Lord done with these. Great things has the Lord done with us. We shall rejoice. Restore, O Lord, our fortunes like the freshets in the Negeb. They who sow in tears in glad song will reap. He walks along and weeps, the bearer of the seed bag. He will surely come in with glad song, bearing his sheaves. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so let's talk about that beautiful image at the end, which is one of the most famous and probably most influential in more recent Christian history, this image at the end. Sure. So, First of all, it's, it is striking that there's a, it starts out with a plural with this yeah. phrase, they who sow in tears in glad song will reap, or in your version, that's uh, those, those who, who sowed with tears. with tears will reap. And for understandable inclusive language purposes, a lot of versions stay in the plural there, mm-hmm. but it actually does switch into a singular for the rest of it. It's he or one some okay. it doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be a man walks along and weeps the bearer of the seed bag yeah he will surely come in with glad songs just this simple imagery kind of repeated and expanded the second time it's like the camera focuses down i imagine a farming community and i imagine this being a a, a hard year or the spring or the planting time after a lean harvest and you you have to save so much you know seed grain that you could have cooked and ate. You may be very very hungry, but this is very very precious to you, and you are not going to touch it. And you're going to go hungry until it grows again. <laughs> and that's, and I think that's for the reason for the tears is that this this offering of the seed for for the for the sake of the for the future life of your family, of your community. And and then you put it in the ground, and you have you have to wait. But then it's multiplied. 
And this little handful of seeds or this little sack, as another translation said, becomes so big that you have to get your shoulder underneath it and haul it back. Those are kind of the mental pictures that I see when I hear it. But I think of the relationship between the individual and the community is a theme in Hebrew scripture, and it is also in in Christian tradition too. There is this, I am me, but I belong to these people, and these people belong to me, and I am partly defined by them. They are partly defined by me. We are in this organic interplay and and tension. So I think it's beautiful to have both the plural and the singular, because I can imagine each household in this farming community going through this same individual act, so they do it together, but then this, you know, it does come down to each individual person being responsible for their household, for their little little sack of seed. Oh yeah, that's lovely. That's that reminds me of. So apologies if I've shared this story before on the the show. It would have been years ago, if so. But uh, I had a a friend who told me. So actually, I learned this story from from. Uh, I think it was from Sarah. Sarah Henlicky Wilson, who's a who's a guest on the show from time to time as well. She was saying how they had they were having theories about why, like why Norwegians are so much more sort of reserved about everything, just mm-hmm. kind of hold things back. Nor, uh, not just Norwegians, Scandinavians, Scandinavians, general, especially especially Norwegians. Why they're kind of famous, you know, that settled in Minnesota, kind of famously, sure, uh, don't celebrate. <laughs> you know, just kind of real chill. And she's Lutheran, so that so she's you know that's okay, fascinating right. subject matter for Lutherans versus like German Lutherans who are mo- so much more you know celebratory, you know Oktoberfest and all that business. And one of the theories was the difference between fishing communities and mm. agricultural communities, right? So a fishing society, more I shouldn't just say communities, society at a larger level, fishing societies. There's not one fisherman might go off and catch a huge haul and another come back with very little. Right. And so it's very, it's a faux pas in fishing societies to draw attention to a good harvest as it were. Yeah. Right. Whereas in agricultural societies, if the weather's good, we all do good. (laughs) Right. And when it's bad, we all suffer together. Sure. I thought of that because you were sharing both individual and community yeah, in right. A, you're using agricultural imagery. It has this kind of we all weep together and we all rejoice together, right? The ups and downs of a good year and a bad year. And I think that's sort of deeply relevant for how we understand a psalm like this. Yeah. There's a because then that's being stretched now over time mm-hmm. that the tears of Israel in slavery in the past are our tears too. Yeah. And the liberation and deliverance and hope of Israel in the past are is our hope too, right? Oh gosh, yeah. So I'm just struck by the contrast between a society that has that as its character and you know contemporary America, where if you rejoice, I'm suspicious. You know, if if you mourn, I'm relieved. <laughs> And that's that's painting with a pretty broad brush, uh, and maybe I'm just talking in terms of politics, but yeah, but a kind of competitive yeah. for me to win, you have to lose, and it's and I'm of course not, I don't have anything uh, to criticize the Norwegian culture, but it's oh, more no, that no, no. even earlier when you said something about well, I don't I don't want that to sound like prosperity gospel. Well, this is the problem: prosperity mm-hmm. gospel is the celebration of feasting. Yeah, I'm glad you came back to this. Right. Applied into an individualistic consumer society, right? Yes. So like the actual, the proof texts, if you take them as proof text yanked out of scripture, you can proof text your way really fast to a prosperity gospel. Like, because there is a prosperity gospel. That's not false. Right. It's just that it's embedded in a larger sense of shared common life rather than God blessing me over against others who are, you know what I mean? It needs to be seen on this larger communal scale. And I have no proverbial stones to throw and I get it wrong just as much as anybody else. But I think that if, if the church, one of the gifts that the church could give to the nations around it, as, as the Psalm refers to is to say, 
hey, this is how we get this right and uh, walk with us and, and see what a difference it, that could make. Yeah. So in a, in a similar way, maybe we want to play with this imagery in verse four. I think it's five in mm-hmm. the version you have in front of you, the, the restoring of fortunes like streams in the Negeb. Yeah. Water courses in the freshets was the one that Alter had. Yeah. Freshets. You had water courses. Mm-hmm. And yours had Negev. Is it with a V or a B? It w- a V, you know, like v? victory. Okay. So this is this is a soft B, so it can be a V or a B. Translations vary. If it has a little dot in the middle, then it's a B. And if it doesn't have the dot, it's more of a V. Mm-hmm. So you'd have it's a it's a choice, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad we're making time for this because I think that for many many years in my Christian life. And I have grown up in traditions that have recited the Psalms that every time we worship, we say a whole Psalm. So I would see the word like negev, and I had no idea what it meant. But uh, negev is the the dry desert region just south of the, of the mainland, sort of as you're getting closer to the Sinai Peninsula. And it's rocky desert country. So I'll let, I'll let you say more about that. Yeah, that's spot on. So in the, so then if down in that region, this very, and I remember when I was learning my maps in like, I don't know, college, maybe I remember learning that in my brain, just my mnemonic device was negev looks like negative. It's down. So that's how I would remember that it's the desert that's South of Jerusalem down into like Beersheba would be the, the the one little community down in that area. It also has significance because it's kind of a place where like Isaac had settled. Mm. It's a place where Elijah travels through on his way down to the mountain of God down in Sinai. So it's a, yeah, it's a special place. And, and it's interesting to, to even picture. So if you were coming from the North, which most tribes would be, or even if you were coming from across the Jordan, at some point you get, you make your way to Jericho and then you work your way up the mountain to Zion. And as you're going up the mountain, you can kind of see the Negev, kind of to your left, to the south, as you're kind of heading up the hill, um, barely, just the edge of the wilderness there. But there's not much south of Jerusalem. It's pretty pretty barren area. And so it has a nice sort of connection to the sowing and reaping that follows. You know, it's not a direct connection, but uh, the imagery is really stark because and anyone who's lived in a, a really dry area like Arizona or uh, Southern California, parts yeah, of Texas yeah. where – where you have these big, uh, like in cities, you'll have these big, basically like riverbeds where there's nothing. They're just dry. Right. Mm-hmm. But then when you have a big rain, it's the rain's got to go somewhere and they can become these, you know, roaring streams yeah. and little, little mini rivers that just exist, you know, once a year for a little while. So I think this is a, this is a, a phrase of degree. When the waters would come through the rainy season or the end of the winter, It'd be a time to not only to celebrate, but to get to work. This is when we got to irrigate. This is when we got to store up water. This is game time. But the degree to which we are asking God to restore us, it's like I said, not just business as usual, but to go above and beyond to be overwhelming like a roaring stream. I love that word roaring. So that's, that's how I picture it. Yeah. And that roaring is nice because of course, when you think of a desert or a wilderness, this is a place of of understimulation, very little sound. There's not trees. There's not the wind rustling in the trees and the birds. It's pretty, pretty quiet in the desert compared to say the forest. Yes. And then to have these rushing streams, these, uh, this roar of water, that's only lasting a little while, a key moment. You're right. I didn't even think about how seasonally that would be loosely associated with the, the time of, of sowing Mm -hmm. the time of planting. Yep. Uh, the spring, which would correspond well with the Passover, the spring festival, or perhaps the first fruits. I, I think when you mm-hmm. get to the end, the, the reference to bringing in the sheaves, shouldering the sheaves, can't help but think a little bit of first fruits and yeah, the Pentecost, yeah. the, the second big festival. But then again, then you also have your harvest festival, which is the, the festival of, of tents or tabernacles in the fall. Yeah. In a, I mean, it's almost, it, it don't, as I, I just talked myself into it, this one works for all three festivals. 
because those <laughs> are the three. Like if those were the three that uh, Israel Israelites were expected to participate in, those are the big three. Right. There are others that are just important. They're just not necessarily ones that you necessarily attend. You might you might celebrate them from home, but uh, yeah, they kind of work. It's kind of covers all the seasons. Wow. One way that just kind of just dawned on me, but that's cool. There's a lot, there's a lot more to this than I had imagined. And that's what I love about the conversations on your, on your show. It just, well, that, that makes a connection. Let me make a few connections before we take a break and move to the, Mm -hmm. to see where, what we might do with that. uh, Yeah. With all of this practically, but just some fun connections to the, the gospel of John. I had one that I was planning on making And then now another one just came to mind. So I'll do that other one now is in the book of John, the whole book's kind of structured around these visits to Jerusalem that are during these different festivals. Although you get this bonus festival that's not from the Torah, the the Feast of Dedication. Sure. It's connected to to Hanukkah and all that, a a kind of winter festival. That's in chapter 10 of John. Um, But the preceding, he he comes on Passover. He comes during the festival of the tents. That's in chapter seven through nine. And then, of course, it's all building up towards the final Passover when he arrives, you know. So there's some fun connections that could be played with there. But there was a specific passage that this made me think of today, and that's in John 4, when towards the end of John 4, Jesus I'll just read it because the resonances are out of this world. You just like, it almost sounds like he's alluding to it. This may even be, I believe we can make connections in between scriptures, even if they weren't intended by the original author. However, one wonders if, if in this case, it might've even been intended. So he's talking to his disciples and says, do you not say, is it not a saying there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. So the separation of sowing and reaping there, right? Mm -hmm. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who is reaping is receiving his wages, Mm. gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Mm. So here in our text, we get one sows in tears. Sure. The one who reaps rejoices. Right. Because he's saying the both together are going to rejoice. So the sowing and the reaping, the, those four months have been foreshortened so that they're all in one. Sowing and reaping all happening at once, I think, is what Jesus is playing with here. Sure. Um, he just he just sent off the Samaritan woman. She's going to come back and and everyone's going to start believing in in him in this town. And he says, for here, the, the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. Hmm. And I am sending you to reap that for which you do not labor. Others have labored. I think he means either himself or the woman or both. Right. And you have entered into their labor. Hmm. I don't know. Like I, I just, the, these sayings, the language is so, of course it wouldn't have to be an illusion because in an agrarian society, there's going to be thousands of proverbs about sowing and reaping, right? That's just your, your everyday vocabulary. You know, it's your colloquialism. Yeah. This kind of farmer language. That's right. Yeah, I'm glad you thought about that. That's a really cool connection. So it's funny to think that, you know, is it one person sowing, another one reaping? Mm -hmm. Or is this about, again, back to that community experience? We all sow in tears. We all reap in joy together. And given that it's the Lenten season and we're building up to Easter, the Passover, the Passover of Christ, and the fact that it's not impossible that the individual he, the singular, right in this last image is referring to the Lord mm. restoring our fortunes. Yes. He, God, the Lord, right? It's the first one yep. that the, they sow in tears and reap. That's just generically true. The singular might not be talking about us. It might be talking about God. God has wept with us, suffered with us, but he will also come back bringing the harvest. Yeah. And if so, then that anticipates Christ's own dying and rising. Exactly. Which is where I wanted to go with thinking about how this preaches. (laughs) Sweet. Okay. Perfect. Perfect place to stop and come back. Let's come back and, and pick up right where we left off. Okay.
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Father Tom Adamson, and we're looking at Psalm 126. And in our last segment here, we're going to explore uh, some ways to apply this text in preaching, teaching, song, however we wish. Usually we open each segment by reading the text again in a different version or something like that. Good. So I want to pitch a pitch something to you if you're open to it, Tom. Sure, sure. Of course, normally I'm the Book of Common Prayer lover on mm-hmm. my show. Sure. So it's kind of fun to have you here who actually selected that as your version at the top of the show. Usually I save it for the third segment. Oh, okay. Uh, no, it's not a bad thing. But I've been experimenting this Lent with just chanting it once oh, for our okay. listeners. Go for uh, it. But I, it's kind of crazy, though, because I, you're a singer, and I'd rather have you do it, but I didn't ask you to do that in advance. So <laughs> you, maybe you think of some something song-ish to do for us by the end of the hour, if you think of it. If you can't, no bigs. But <laughs> Well, I have two ideas. One okay. would just be to do just a very simple three-tone plain song with you together that may be editing nightmare for Todd. I don't know. I think trying to sync up audio is impossible for singing. So let's (laughs) not do that. (laughs) Okay. I I did look up Psalm 126 in the Christian reformed grace altar in their tradition. The first 150 hymns of their hymnal are the Psalms and they're either paraphrases or translations. Oh, would you be willing to do a rendition of, of 126 for us? Yeah, I could do it out of out of the CRC book. I, I was That'd be great. I was a member of the CRC for, for eight years prior to my journey to the priesthood here. Do you mind if I go over to the piano and get it's right behind me. Get the note? Yeah. Okay, get the note and then I'll do it. When God brought Zion's remnant band back to the land, we felt like we were dreaming. Why even unbelievers said, the Lord has led with mighty works redeeming. Come laugh for joy, our songs employ. The Lord has won, great things begun, has filled our lives with meaning. Please bless our new beginnings, Lord, as you refilled the Negev's dried-out basin. So those who suffered sowing seed will now be freed to reap with deep elation. Who sows with tears but perseveres comes home again with sheaves of grain surprised by God's salvation. (laughs) I think that was lovely. I think the experience of singing the Psalms just straight with simple tunes Mm -hmm. is such a beautiful practice. And it's one of my desires is that people would experiment with that. You know, it's just a great way to enter in. And, you know, these would have been learned. They would have been set to music. We don't have the ancient music anymore. No. You have the medieval tradition of singing the Psalms from Christian monks and these particular Psalms of the Songs of Ascent were often set aside uh, in the Benedictine tradition for the daytime prayers, the third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, the ones that would be sung actually while you're out working in the fields. Mm. This one in particular really fits that. It does. Because of the language of sowing and reaping. So, yeah. So, you know, in addition to simply reading the song, singing the song, experiencing it, uh, what else might we do with this in preaching or teaching or worship? Uh, where would you want to go with a text like this? Uh, either a sermon starter or if some other direction's in mind, we can go that way too. Well, I'm thinking about this as somebody who preaches week in and week out. Allow me to make this bad pun. You know, I'm a preacher of habit. You know, I preach about 50, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> I preach about 50 Sundays a year. 
and um, it's kind of with with the community. Talk about the relationship between the individual and the community, the community, the individual. And um, I always like to point out something that uh, might otherwise be missed or overlooked. And we touched on this a little bit earlier about its use on the last regular Sunday of Lent as a song of ascent for this Christian community to approach Jerusalem as Jesus approached Jerusalem and um, to say at this moment, what we need is, is a word from the Lord that really speaks to what has happened, what has led to this moment, what is going to happen and the, the deep suffering that's about to happen but also what this uh, what will be the fruit of this suffering. So we're going to walk through this together as a community. And this psalm, and for all the reasons we pointed out in sections one and two, has all these rich possibilities uh, of pointing out. But, but, but for me, I would use it as a, as, as a time marker. Sometimes, you know, I, I don't want to come off as being like proud, like, oh, we say the psalm at every worship service. We're right. We're great. A lot of times uh, <laughs> for, for a lot of people in the liturgical tradition, the, the, the recitation or the singing of the song kind of becomes like, well, here's my chance to kind of mentally check out for a minute, you know, and then <laughs> before we get to the, the real readings, because we don't always know how to make sense of the Psalms and the preacher always ends up preaching about the gospel anyway. But I would say, okay, so let's, let's rewind the tape. And what did we, what did we just say? in Psalm 126. And here is why it speaks to our moment this year in our festivals. And here is the truth of salvation history that it participates in, not only for uh, the songs of joy of, of Jesus rising from the dead that we'll celebrate in two weeks, but what that resurrection means for all of us, for us here in this community, for all of the nations, for the world, and uh, for the fulfilling of, of every promise in the covenant. So I would end with a big symbol crash, you know, <laughs> hooray, a little bit of a spoiler alert, a little bit of a, hey, it's going to be tough to walk through Holy Week, but it's better if we do it together. It's better if we acknowledge the pain, and, uh, but we will have streams in the desert. We will have a great harvest, and so let's stick with it. And I guess that's where I would, as a uh, as a parish priest, that's how I'd walk through it with my community. And I probably will this year, having done this podcast with you, because I'm all jazzed out about it. So that's how I'd use it in my context. I'm curious how you might use it in a in a different kind of context. Yeah. So I mean, I I'll say two preludes and then run with a parallel thought to yours. Mm -hmm. The first prelude is. I currently am part of a local church that very much attends to the church year, though not with the Revised Common Lectionary as its text selection basis. But in terms of even liturgical colors, cool. even the naming of the days, that's become mm -hmm. a thing in the last 10, 15 years. Interesting. So that's yeah. just one thing to name is – but the selection of text is still built around a series that often is around that, but then – so it's not always linked to that. That's the first thing I'll right. say. The second thing I'll say is, since I usually use the lectionary only as a kind of jumping off point and then see where it goes. Right. And even on this show, I only really was making use of it. I mean, my sort of private devotional life is very high churchy. Mm -hmm. As you know, as some of our listeners know, I just, I, I, I've learned the distinction between my personal uh, preferences and the values of my community. And you don't always have to impose your personal... <laughs> preferences sure. on your community. But uh, on this show, I've used it mostly just so that I wouldn't just be picking texts randomly mm -hmm. or that I would be at the whim of my guests. I thought, let's let's have some sort of arbitrary third party set the agenda for this show. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, 12, 12 years of uh, content is a nice uh, way to not be stressed about where we go next. <laughs> so with that prelude in mind, I I'm not a huge fan when you do use the lectionary of trying to like sew together a sermon based on like all four texts. You know, usually right. you're going to just get really overwhelmed and not have an excellent sermon. No. Usually you pick a text. Right. Maybe you make some references if needed. Having said that, this is one week where 
glancing at the other texts, it's like really striking. Oh, say more. So to the extent that even if I wasn't in a setting that was using the lectionary, I might build a sermon around some themes in three or more of these texts. So the Isaiah passage, I won't read the whole thing. It's from Isaiah 43, but check this out. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Mm. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and wait for it. Rivers in the desert. (laughs) So it's really good. (laughs) So that's one sort of connection point. It's just very obvious resonance. Mm. And then check this out. This is from Philippians 3. Uh, He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings, Mm. becoming like him in his death, if I may somehow attain the resurrection of the dead. There you get it again. Death, resurrection. I need to know both. Mm -hmm. Both sowing in tears and reaping in joy. There's some, there's a very poetic sermon waiting to be written here Sure, through these connections. And even there he keeps going on. Not that I've already obtained or have reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own. Right. Yeah. Right. Forgetting what lies behind, he says, and straining forward to what lies ahead. So you have this kind of backward forward motion. Mm-hmm. Those texts all just resonate in really cool ways. Yeah, they um, do especially this might be a good week to not feel straight jacketed by the gospel text Mm -hmm. because the gospel text this particular year in the lectionary is the anointing at Bethany. Okay. Which of course in the sequence of the gospels takes place either on Saturday or Monday uh, before or after the triumphal entry. Right. So it's actually kind of oddly placed here. Right. And you could almost, if you wanted to have a gospel reading, Again, you, you could stick with the readings if you're a, a by-the-book person. I have no, no objection to that. But I even think of Jesus when he's riding before, at the very beginning, before the triumphal entry. In Luke, there's that scene of him weeping over Jerusalem. Yes. And again, that's a text for the next week, but it could be a little foreshadowing. Again, in a very poetic sermon, you might make some foreshadowing of what's to come. So I feel like there's a... You know, a very, when I want, let's go back to our very first discussion point in our show today. Right. So anamnesis, right? Right. Anamnetic, remembering, participatory remembering or deep memory, a memory that actually participates in the past or a past that's pressing in on the present. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what does it look like to write an anamnetic sermon, a sermon that's a little less about Here's how to apply this to your life. Right. And a little more, this is your life. Ah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and then that requires a slightly little less prose and a little more poetry, mm-hmm. a little less didactic and a little more playing with language and playing with words in a way that, that draws one's community into the story rather than applying the story into our lives, as it were. That that's the kind of sermon I know. I know I didn't just like. There's no sermon outline there. No, I wouldn't. Not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. This is the kind of sermon I wouldn't write an outline for. Mm. I would actually just do some creative writing in a journal. Yeah, yeah, right. Without these texts, maybe just my Bible, but I don't bring my phone. I don't have any kind of digital resources, and I go kind of just sit at a coffee shop or <laughs> in a chapel. Sure. And just do some creative writing just for two hours. Yep. Yep. And then build the sermon out of that, you know, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's this week for me, if I was preaching these texts or this Psalm on this particular time of year. Now for listeners who might be listening to this months later, cause they just use this as a, as a, you know, study, research. stack them up and then right. come back to them later. Or uh, maybe they're just studying a Psalm and look this up. Uh, maybe it doesn't fit the setting. And, and then I say, well, just have fun with it. There's a lot of things you can do with a text like this, but yeah, that's, that's what I would do this given the season that we're in. You know, it seemed to have some resonance with you that the farming or the fishing community and um, the yield and the hope, that would be something I might play with. I might invent a character. I mean, this sounds a little, a, a little corny, but use a lot of uh, sense imagery, the heat of the sun you know, the, the smell of the sack, the, the crunch of the dry earth, you know, and uh, I'm trying, because the, all three of those texts are, are deep within the, 
the people, the, the original here is familiarity with their land and their landscape and their shared spiritual vocabulary. And it's not exactly the vocabulary of, of our hearers, but we all still live on the planet earth and we all know what changing seasons are like. So I, I think I would use your permission then uh, to be poetic. And I, and I would begin with some kind of earthy, natural metaphor or story or setting. Yeah. De- inventing a bit of a character who, you know, just finished doing a bunch of sewing and now heading up mm-hmm. the mountain to Jerusalem, you know, exactly is a beautiful picture. Actually, you could do a bait and switch <laughs> where you make it seem like they're singing this song and then they get there and then there's, there's this big crowd and somebody's riding on a donkey. Wow. You know, you could kind of set up the next week. That could be pretty, that could be pretty sweet. Well, let's click know. save on that, man. Cause I, that's, I'm going <laughs> to feel that. <laughs> so, cause you could paint the picture as if it's, you know, yeah. way back, way back hundreds of years prior to that. But of course these would have been still being sung at Jesus exactly. time. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. think, I think that's, that's the winner there. Cool. There you go. Click save. Hey, if we can get to a click save moment by the end of a podcast, that's not so bad. <laughs> at least for me and you, maybe the rest of the listeners are like, man, why didn't you start there? It's like, well, it took an hour to get there. You had to sow <laughs> the seed and now we're sold. Ah! <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Tom, for the time you gave. Uh, thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without you. Uh, thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Here he is. No worries. It's all good. <laughs> And uh, thanks uh, to all those who listen to the show regularly, especially, and especially those who support the show. If you'd like to uh, support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see some ways that you can support what we're doing here. And uh, with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.